Young and fresh, here we are. We talk games, Arcade Weekly, the only Arcade Weekly show brought to you by Arcade Weekly of We Talk Games that happens every week about the arcades. I am Wiggly. I will be on your host on the microphone in your earballs and on the Skype pipe, our first ever industry co-host, Tom Hewlett. Two M's, one Hewlett. <laughs> Hello. You were on our show before talking about Konami, and now you're with Way Forward. That's correct. It's good to know your way forward. It's not like One Direction. They don't know which direction it is. Here you know which <laughs> forward. And by the way, always go forward, never straight. Today we're going to talk about 1981 Konami Frogger. Let's go right to TT Schmookins for her TT's Snap Stats. Hello, I am Titish Kmutkins and I am looking for rational and kind heart. I've created and built a very fun, interesting, and unique environment over the years and would love nothing more than to share it with a friend with Titi's Snapstats. <coughs> Frogger was developed by Konami and published by Sega Gremlin in 1981. The game is controlled with a four-way joystick, and no button, Wii action. The game allows for up to up to two alternating players, with a maximum number of two alternating players. The main board runs off of a CPU Z80 at 3.072 MHz with an extra Z80 CPU at 1.78975 MHz dedicated to controlling sound via 2AY8910 at 1.78975 MHz sound chips. Most cabinets featured a vertical-mounted raster 224 by 256 pixel monitor that could display up to 99 colors. If you are that dumb, annoying, little snot-nosed kid that goes around the arcade and just moves the joystick around like a goofball, have I got a tip for you? It turns out, on the attract screen, little Frogger becomes controllable once he reaches the very top log. So, plunk that magic twanger. Plunk your magic twanger, Froggy! <laughs> Frogger is featured prominently in the 174th episode of Seinfeld cleverly entitled, The Frogger, in which the character, George, discovers a local pizzeria still has the machine with his high score still intact from when he was a kid. The character, George, buys the machine, then tries to figure out how to get the game across the street Frogger style without turning the game off and losing his high score. This is so funny because trying to get across the street is one of the first actions Frogger has to do in the game Frogger, but here, it's the character, George, doing it. I had to check the microfilm on this one, because the television show, Seinfeld, sucks. This titty snap stats has been brought to you by Insect Insect Mushroom Induction Lamp. Insect Insect Mushroom Induction Lamp mini version of the design from Disney cartoon film, Total Shipped Part of Your Life. You totally know. Now, 
It's back to Wiggly and our special industry co-host, Tom Hewlett, two M's, one Hewlett, for more of the We Talk Games, Video Power Magazine program. It is customary to have our special industry co-host pick the game. And of course, Brahma created the universe from a golden egg. Why Frogger? Well, one, it's a Konami game, right? And I've worked Konami. at Konami for a long time. Frogger helped me through some tough times at Konami. Uh, I know that may surprise some people that, you know, a great company like Konami might have tough times. But um, <laughs> we had a Frogger machine. And so I would go in and uh, play it when I was feeling down, and I got pretty good at it. So I fell in love with the frog. We don't normally talk about console games, although anytime a TurboGrafx port comes up, I, of course, talk about that in depth. However, uh, did you work on any of the Frogger remakes? Because I know that you did a lot of the, what do you call them? I did some reboots, some reimaginings. There you go. Some, uh, at the time when I was playing Frogger, uh, another team was working on, I think it was called Frogger Hyper Arcade Edition for XBLA and PSN, but uh, I did not work on that. I, I just played it a bunch. Did they like what you were doing with uh, Rocket Knight and uh, Silent Hill? They did, yes. They, they crossed over with mutual respects. Exactly. I can run down, <laughs> at some point I'll run down the Konami games we've already covered in our programs. Well, over 180, so that's a lot of arcade games. And I think we did 16 or so Konami games. We're going to talk about Froggy. Pluck your magic twanger, Froggy. Have you ever heard the Pac-Man Fever album? <laughs> yes, of course. Ode to Frogger, <laughs> my favorite track. Ode to Frogger. Yeah, very good. Very good. <laughs> it is kind of weird. You say it brought you through some tough times, of course. You know, it's uh, going to come up. Uh, you rode the last wave of Konami of America, so uh, probably touch on that a little bit if you feel like yeah. uh, going down that path but you know it's extra sad because konami had such great franchises yeah, gradius castlevania contra silent hill metal gear circus charlie <laughs> mikey yeah i mean yeah. <laughs> they're pretty unstoppable for for many 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 years yeah definitely both the arcade and in the home home console world and such yeah. beloved characters as well even stuff like Silent Scope and... Oh, yeah. You ain't kidding. I got this special Silent Scope uh, unlicensed gun for my Xbox. <laughs> uh, I hate that they came out with the Xbox One. What the hell do you call the first Xbox now? Xbox One. <laughs> the first Xbox One. I loved playing it through that. It was a neat little trick that they did to to get it to look like the arcade game. But yeah, if, uh, I, I often... So, so, so many great Konami games, you forget... You know who makes them. You know when you're playing one, but mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. sort of forget who made it. Why don't we get to not bury the lead? Because I'm sure people are very interested in that now. Like we know a lot of the story, but um, we don't know really from somebody that experienced from the inside, like Sega USA and Sega of Japan. When that started going south, uh, there was a, you know a big uh, tussle between the two uh, versions of the company, the two entities. Was it like that at Konami, or was it just a full, you know, everybody hit the bricks? Sega was interesting, um, just because the U.S. branch was granted a lot of freedom from the from the Japanese branch, so that kind of caused all that weirdness between them that you mentioned. But uh, Konami and, you know, other Japanese companies like Capcom and all the bigs, the U.S. branch uh, really follows the Japanese branch more closely. The Japanese branch is legally in charge, gotcha. yada, yada, yada. So Konami was really just a case of they changed focus you know, Konami, the company, started out making jukeboxes and stuff. 
And in Japan, they have health clubs and they make gambling machines and all sorts of stuff. So they just wanted to focus on non-video game aspects of the business, I guess you'd say. Sure. So that obviously had ramifications for groups making video games. Yeah. You know, I was a fan that wasn't mad at Konami as a, as a company. Uh, they mm-hmm. were my favorite game manufacturer. When I had Dracula X for my TurboGrafx-16 and imported that from Japan, I just had never experienced anything like that before in my life. So it was my favorite company. I know all the talent that worked for Konami as well. So that was an incredible blow, but the kickback from the audience was kind of a a little unwarranted until I guess they started sort of treating their big talent uh, poorly. It's hard. A lot of the talent started leaving, um, I mean, a while ago now, but years before the bigger blowups recently. But uh, it's kind of been a slow migration away from Konami. Did they sell off any of their franchises? Do you know? I don't know. I think they still have them. They, uh, you know, they're making pachinko machines for <laughs> Castlevania and whatnot. Right, so. right. I have a Popeye pachinko machine. Nice. I'm not against it. It's very loud. It breaks your eardrums. Because <laughs> I think mine came right out of a pachinko hall in Japan, and they never did any type of adjustment to it except maybe a power switcher. Because my neighbors hear me. You know, I live in a, a big Victorian, and it's nowhere near where my neighbors should hear anything. So I have to, I have to put some type of pot in between the speakers. It's ear-bursting. <laughs> So Frogger got you through some uh, some rough times there. A lot of people played Frogger, hopefully, or else I don't know where you live, on the moon. Uh, or kids these days, you know. Oh, <laughs> uh, they like the frog. They like jumping. <laughs> Frogger has inspired, you know, so many things like Crossy Road. And I was really surprised with Crossy Road at how good that was. Because you don't mm-hmm. expect a lot from an iOS game as far as... That type of arcade feel control type of thing, but it works really well as that. And of course, there were a lot of froggers for the iOS as well, but you know, the, the control on them wasn't as hot. It was really made. Yeah, not people. great. How was your interaction with the arcades? When did you start going to them? I'm a 50 year old guy, so you know, in 1981, I was playing Frogger in the arcade when it came out, right alongside Crystal Castles and everything else. So. <laughs> well, in 81, I was one, so okay. I hadn't quite gotten you know my own transportation or, or anything. Um, we had an Atari 2600. I can't remember if I first played it on the Atari or if I first played it in the arcade. But either way, I know it was early on. You know, I couldn't have been more than four, something like that. It's good. It only has the joystick for input, so you don't mm-hmm. need to worry about... You know, like Mario when I was a kid was a little hard at first because you have to move forward and jump and manage the momentum and all that stuff. But with Frogger, it's just up, down, left, right. And you don't get hit by cars. And that's a pretty, you know, every kid, every kid should know not to get hit by cars so that it, you already know the rules. I didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, it really does teach you that you will get squashed and blow up if a car hits you. Right. So, and then, you know, jump on logs and lily pads. Right. Every kid should know these things. And carry other <laughs> kids on your back. Right. You get more points. <laughs> so it was easy to understand. And uh, I remember the Atari version. You couldn't really tell what everything was because the graphics were not great. But you know, the gameplay is the same, which, you know, certain games, even with the arcade, when you got the Atari version, it would be different because you only had one button and the joysticks felt different. But with Frogger, you, you can't mess up Frogger. True. 
chili iOS. I guess you can mess it up on iOS because there's no joy- joystick, but, you know, well, <laughs> work with me here. Let me ask you this, Tom. Pac-Man was also just a, a joystick title and uh, Frogger and unfortunately everything else, it, it doesn't come to mind. Back when I went to the arcade and we only had one joystick, I never knew which hand to use. Everybody was using their right hmm. hand because they were, most people were right-handed. So it wasn't until the the control pad came out, really, or games that had buttons on the side that you knew which hand to play with, like Lunar Lander and things like that. That was just all buttons. There were a lot of games with Mm -hmm. all buttons. So, you know, buttons you could do with any hand, too, and that didn't really affect the gameplay. But it was very hard for me to get used to a left-handed joystick. That's a good point. I think, actually, on my Atari, I used my right hand for the joystick, which is weird. Yeah, uh, when I was playing it again uh, to get ready for the show, even though, you know, you can dream this thing and <laughs> turn it over <laughs> and get to the kill screen. If I don't even know if that happens. I was never able to turn Frogger over. It was a little too difficult for me, but I, I still, you know, love it non- nonetheless. Uh, and yeah. I do love some of the aspects of it. I mean, 1981, and you're doing some very interesting, more progressive things than you would think would be in an 81 game like mentioned and you mentioned to getting more points from getting a another frog on your back and trying to hit one of the what is it like i don't even know how many <laughs> i was gonna say the object of frogger was of course to get from a to b c d e or f because <laughs> right. you have all these little ports to try to get into but you also had that your little lady frogger to try to really coax you in there if you could try to get in her lane when she would happenstancely pop up Uh, yeah so i mean those are little elements that were added to and then of course as it progressive the some of the logs are uh, alligators uh, crocodiles one of the two you tricked me (laughs) (laughs) and then uh, you know people driving like maniacs it's a four-lane highway everyone just go whatever way you feel i don't care here comes a bulldozer it's okay so you know there's some weirdness to it definitely definitely and the way that the logs would be spaced that go in the opposite direction there's a lot of strategy that you had to use to know where you were in the space on screen i played the vertical version the original konami version and i guess in sega oh, definitely yeah yeah i guess i guess sega released it and then that's when we started getting the horizontal screens also sega's the ones i played at least uh had the music uh, modified which sega was big on music chips trying to go to those next levels on music but i don't think the music was as good as the original now sega might have released the games but the the pure konami original releases i think uh, I, I think that music is fantastic i agree catchy That's, you can't mess with that music no and we also mentioned on the show that uh, this is in the style of those pure arcade games. There's something about it, like a Popeye or a Pac-Man or a Asteroids, that you can always go back to. Yeah. You don't get sick of it. Some titles you, you play and the levels progress in such a way that, uh, I don't want to go back to level one. Frogger is one of those things that you could keep going back to level one and you really don't mind because it has those play mechanics that, that really work. Yeah, it's weird because I'm just trying to think of ways to describe it as well. And you want to say simple, but that makes it sound negative. But it's not. It's the simplicity that helps you come back to it over and over again. Exactly. Even in Donkey Kong, I don't want to go back to those first levels. Or actually, I do want to go back to those first levels. <laughs> I don't want to. Go, I don't want to go to the further levels. They're a little bit too too rough. Um, 
so the tricky thing about Frogger for me was always the leftmost and rightmost goal places, sure. nests, whatever they're called. Yeah. I'm sure the expert Frogger players know exactly which log to jump on and when. I'm sure they have that all down to a science. But when I play Dance Dance Revolution, for example, some people memorize all the steps in the dance, and they just run through the dance in their head. I can't do that. So I get like the muscle memory for each phrase, you know, each little micro section of the song, and then when it shows up, I just do it. So with Frogger, I don't know which log to jump on ahead of time. I'm playing it kind of by ear. So you get stuck in the spot where you're waiting for the log all the way across the screen, and you just get this tension of like, is the log going to show up? I'm almost to the edge of the screen, and I will die. I need that log. And then on one side of the screen, you have to hop, hop really fast, because the log you jump on is going to carry you away from your goal. Indeed. The other one, you're waiting till the very end, and the timing's weird because if you clip the edge of the screen, you'll die. The center three are really easy to get into, and then the, the edges are just really stressful, and then sometimes you'll have all of them filled in but that last one, and you just get that like crazy, like, oh my gosh, this is it's, it's make or break time. There's definitely some tense moments when you start playing a game, and you know, you're just trying to mosey along and do everything perfect. You don't realize that there's times you have to really bang it up, bang it up. Try to get as cross as fast as you can, and you can do that. And I think once you realize yeah. you can do that, uh, the game becomes a lot more interesting because then you do get to go to the more challenging levels. Not like it's not challenging enough. Like for, one time, I don't know, I just I got in the first uh, block area, and then all of a sudden I got a race car going like you know a million miles an hour, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I only got one frog in. I'm on the first level. Why is this happening? And then there's the double race cars and uh, all the different timings involved. And the hit detection, unfortunately, for 1981 wasn't exactly perfect. So, like you said, if you run off the side of the screen, you'll blow up. And also, if you're just a little off in your jump, and I don't know how it happens, you're jumping from one log to the other. You're right in front of the freaking log. And somehow, I don't know, you didn't do enough leg workouts, you die because <laughs> you didn't make it to that log. So... The hit detection That's is... That's a weird quirk. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a little odd, but it doesn't take away from the fun of it. You can do it. Some things are glitchy, but it's not a cheap game where... Yeah, it's, it's consistent in what it does. There's just consistent quirks to it. So if you're not thinking, you'll jump wrong every time. <laughs> but once you're in the groove, it stops happening. You just kind of sync up with the action on screen. I'm thinking about Turtles. We reviewed Turtles. Oh, wait. You know what? Turtles was a Konami game as well. 1981 yeah. Turtles. <laughs> And Stern also helped out or released that. And I can't recall everything about Turtles, but I know you had to carry your baby on your back. And I think some pretty gruesome things happened to you or your baby. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, let me run down some of the Konami games that we did go through. And of course, this will be in alphabetical order because I built this little nice database called In the Can. We talk games.com forward slash in the can, and you can do Insta searches as well as just look through all the games in alphabetical order. So you can search Konami or you can search, search a year or just you can search the letter N and then every game that has a letter N somewhere and it will come up. Devil World, we did a game that we could not pronounce the same way all throughout the episode, which is Gaia Gaiopolis. Gaia Iopolis. Yeah, that was from 1993. We, of course, did Gyrus, which was 1983. That's a classic. Haunted Castle, 1988, which, as a fan of Castlevania, Castlevania probably being my favorite game, Konami being my favorite game maker, Haunted Castle 
not my favorite game and not my fa- <laughs> I don't know who worked on yeah. that or why. It should that's, not have been brought That's quite an out. arcade game. Yes. <laughs> I, I love the quirks of it, but you expect the arcade to outshine anything that would be released on the console because now you have the money, you have the hardware, you have uh, really tight controls on the pro joysticks and buttons and arcade everything. And then uh, you get Haunted Castle. <laughs> well, why didn't you make a remake of Haunted Castle? You know, other people were doing Castlevania. I actually miss the uh, the level-based Castlevanias. They're all about exploring now, and it makes me kind of sad. Not because they're bad. I love right, them right. too. But sure. we just haven't played the old style, and I feel like it's gone forever. Yeah. And there's no reason for it to be gone forever. They're, they can Both styles should exist. Another title that I played a lot on the TG-16 and... I thought it was better on the home consoles than in the arcade, but uh, it's more beautiful in the arcade, was Hit the Ice in 1990. We did that during a sportuary. Very fun sport game, especially when people throw this squids or octopus on the ice, and then you kick over that. <laughs> One title that I really recommend that you try out if you've never heard of it, it came out in 1983, and it's called Juno First. Incredibly horrible name. Juno First, it's a shooter. <laughs> And you're a spaceship, and um, you shoot into the horizon. So, yeah, you shoot into the horizon. It's done in a way where the ships come over like the limb of the planet. But it's sort of abstract. It's not like, uh, not phalanx, what was the, uh, which is great. (laughs) There was another (laughs) game for the Super Nintendo where things sort of came towards you, and I can't recall. Axelay? Axelay, Axelay, yes. Sort of like that, except with maybe a Defender-looking ships but very very impressive i mean the explosions and stuff like that are a lot like uh what jeff mintner minter minter jeff minter jeff mintner i have to say it both ways because i never remember how it goes (laughs) did with uh tempest 2000 a lot of those really cool explosions so if you ever get a chance to play juno first not juno fist not jupiter fist not anything to do with a spaceship or why it would be first. Juno first is uh, a fantastic shooter that I return to quite often. We also did uh, Kicker from 1985, 1987's Labyrinth Runner, which uh, also is oddly named because there's maybe one labyrinth and you really don't run. Metamorphic Force we did, uh, which might be the name of another game that I already mentioned, but I can't recall. We did do Mikey, uh, 1984 Konami game, which... I don't know if you've ever played that. What is, what's Mikey? He's this kid that everybody loves and it has different parts to the game, but basically you're trying to collect hearts and you're trying to get away with things in school. First stage Mm. will start out with you sitting at a desk and a teacher's teaching you something on the blackboard, like math, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) like, you know, four plus eight or something. Or it might've been something more complex like, uh, you know, pi. I can't recall exactly, but every time he turns away from the board, that's when you have to try to run through the aisles and collect different things. And if he turns around, you have to try to quick sit down. You can either sit down in an empty chair, you could try to butt bump someone out of the seat. 
And <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very cool. And then you go to a dance, and then you there's all these uh, different gymnastic things and and stuff like that. But you're always trying to collect hearts and get kisses from girls and and things like this. That sounds incredible. It's a very good game, and uh, it actually had uh, a following enough to have merchandise come out for it. That of course went to arcades and stuff like that. But I don't know how beloved it was of a franchise for Konami. But at the time when it came out, nineteen. It was something that they quite liked. So uh, check out Mikey. Yeah, it's fun. Fun, fun, fun. Monster Maulers, which came out in 1993. Of course, one of our favorites that we will return to talking about all time because of the Steve Ritchie pinball game of the same name. Roller Games, 1991. Roller Games. Roller Games, where (laughs) all of the arcade and home console titles came out after the show was already canceled. So Roller Games. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> a glorious time. Yeah, Warrant. I, you, you have to try to find some of these episodes of Roller Games on television. Yeah, it's trying to mash up um, pro wrestling with Roller Derby, which as if Roller Derby wasn't pro wrestling enough. So they try to make it even more over the top pro wrestling. But they would also have a live band to make it hip with the kids. And Warrant, <laughs> Warrant played, I think, on the first one. And don't you know, on the second episode, and Warrant's back again. Warrant loves, <laughs> loves to be on roller games because we record three shows at a time. But they're back again. It's quite funny. And I, I swear to gosh, Warrant played for like 15 minutes during this one episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. So uh, I love roller games and pinball machine. I talked about that with Steve Ritchie a lot, and I really like uh, roller games, the arcade machine. And the uh, one for the home NES was okay. Of course, uh, 1996, Sexy Parodius. We talked about Shaolin's Road. That was 85. We talked about Trick Trap. Trick Trap. Once again, horrible name, Trick Trap. I don't know. You don't trick. <laughs> you don't trap anybody, but it's Trick Trap. 1987. And then I mentioned Turtles, which I wish I knew what you did in Turtles. I was, <laughs> this is one where Stinky Game Master told us to review something about Turtles. So we had three people on the show and we each reviewed a different game that had Turtle in the name. So like one person did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I did Turtles, and somebody else did, oh, Turtle Ship. Turtle Ship. Which is barely a game, and uh, but it, it, I think Turtle Ship was the name of some type of Japanese uh, turtle ship, <laughs> some type of famous uh, ship uh, in in uh, maybe World War II or something like that. Turtle ships, who knows? Revolutionary War, maybe. Might as well be war. <laughs> Let's first talk about before we get into way forward. If you still have time for me, because <laughs> I. Yeah. used up all that time just refresh our memory on the things that you were assigned with rebooting or retooling uh, i know we talked about you were just getting ready to come out with a new version of silent hill well mm-hmm. uh, using the flashlight went out like that and i, I had to think uh, i think i got the uh, embargo stuff that i had to not mention when it was coming out or something <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we talked a little bit about Rocket Knight. Let the listeners uh, know a little bit about you uh, there and, and how you got into it. Because I don't recall. I think you just went right into it, didn't you? Uh, no, I'll sum it up. Okay. Before Konami, I was at Atlas uh, doing localization on games like Persona 3 and the Shin Megami Tensei games and Trauma Center. And before that, I kind of 
I knew a guy at Virgin Games when I was a kid, and so he let me come test games for money as my first job. Right, right. So I've been in and out of the game industry for a while. After Atlas, I went to Konami as an associate producer, and so we made Contra 4, a sequel to the Contra series. And then I pitched Rocket Knight, because I loved Rocket Knight, so we made um, a new Rocket Knight. And then I was also assigned to Silent Hill, so I worked on... Um, Silent Hill Homecoming, Silent Hill Origins. I produced Silent Hill Shattered Memories on the Wii. That's the one with the motion control flashlight stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I worked on Silent Hill Downpour and Silent Hill Book of Memories. I think that's everything. Did you were you Sounds consulted like on the Silent Hill movie? I was on the second one. They really? uh, sent us the script early and took some feedback for a PR thing. I got to go on their set. And where they were filming and watch them film for a little bit and eat craft services. And yeah, it was pretty fun. I was an extra on movies and, and I know that it, I like craft services. <laughs> I was in a John yes, Waters movie though. So now where did they film <laughs> Silent Hill? Where was that? Uh, up in Canada. So oh. it was in Toronto. There was like a lake just outside of the city or in the middle of the city. I don't know. There's a lake and they filmed it on the side of this lake um, for the scene that I was going to, which was the, uh, amusement park scene and they had a big giant carousel with flame jets and stuff and they the producer made them turn it on so that konami people could see it and ride it and uh that must have cost a lot of money i feel kind of bad <laughs> <laughs> i like the movies as far as video game movies go i enjoyed both of them i think yeah they're they're pretty good on the video game uh film scale definitely a little bit better than double dragon uh, <laughs> that was when I little bit. I, I either, little I either bit. fell asleep or walked out on that one, unfortunately. But I will tell you a brief story that everyone's heard and sick of. Uh, Super Mario, uh, Super Mario Brothers actually allowed me to get this Victorian home because my wife was so pissed off that I made her watch it. She went out to the very last few minutes of an open house which we now moved into and lived in. And if it wasn't for <laughs> Super Mario Brothers movie with <laughs> Mojo Nixon as Toad and me thinking it would be funny for her to watch how bad it is, uh, we would never would have moved into this lovely mansion that we now have. That's amazing. Yes. So are you going to get the uh, the box set Blu-ray coming out this month and, and display it prominently in your home? Uh, anything that would help, you know, anything that might help. I did buy, when they got marked down to five cents, there was a Super Mario Brothers, the movie 3D booklet that came with special, uh, 3D red and uh, cyan glasses that were sort of shaped like the Bowser. I want to try to call him Bowser. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> but they were shaped like reptilian uh you know uh framed glasses so i gave that to a good friend of mine and he really enjoyed that uh, but yeah they had a oh wow that's a, that is a that's one movie that one you scratch your head on we just had a, a discussion at work uh trying to debate which one is a better movie uh super mario brothers the movie or the wizard Oh, well, that and, and we settled that the wizard is probably a better movie. You ain't kidding. Yeah. You know, <laughs> hey, if you ever want to watch a really good one, joysticks. There you go. Joysticks. It's a little, you know, it's PG-13, 
But uh, that is probably the best arcade-based movie. Last Starfighter, okay, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, Wizard's great with the with the power glove and everything else. Yeah, that's wonderful, super. But for my money, uh, if you want to see a perfect example of what people's misunderstanding of what they thought arcades were like. <laughs> Well, probably it was like that for that for them because they were so smoky with pot and everything else going on in the locally owned arcades that were not in the malls. The ones with the lovely black lights and full of smoke, as I mentioned, cigarette burns on everything. Uh, a lot of people know this, but in order to get extra credits on games, I would uh, I would blow the attendant in, in the back alley. <coughs> It's not true, but his jumpsuit was sexy. I'll mention that. I'm only going to go that far. So, yeah, Joysticks is funny because they play live action versions of Pac-Man, which I guess happened, what, like 30 years later when they did that giant Pac-Man sort of um, mob type of thing in New York. Right. But they were doing this back then on this horrible movie. Yeah, yeah, you got to see joysticks. Sort of like a combination of somebody that's good at the arcades and uh, somebody that wants to peep through a window at a girl undressing. So it <laughs> might have been produced by some people that then later got involved with National Lampoon. So how did you make the move to Way Forward? Well, I wanted to make games, not just um Publish them, which is why I went to Konami in the first place, because their setup just carried over from their Japanese branch. It's that the producers have some creative say over the games. So that's what attracted me to there, besides just being Konami. But it was time to move on to a more direct director role. And Konami was, as we said, in dark times. Sure. And so um, I'd met WayForward working on Contra 4. They were the developer on that. And then we were currently working on Silent Hill Book of Memories with them as well. And so they were looking for a director, and I went, me, 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 and and I got hired. And it worked out. I enjoyed directing very much. And uh, I've worked on two Adventure Time games, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, which has sneaky homages to Konami's NES game. Oh, cool. And a Goosebumps game loosely based on the movie that came out last year. Sure. I like that movie. What's wrong with everybody? <laughs> it's good. Okay. And um, a couple other smaller things. Now, were um, you there when Boy in His Blob got the remake? No, I was there long after Boy in His Blob. Okay. But I like Boy in His Blob. Yeah, game. me too. Uh, DuckTales, Shantae, I guess, or other ones, Lit. Yeah, I, on the recent iOS Lit, I designed all the levels. Oh, great. DuckTales was in development when I started. Okay. So they sent my, like, uh, here's our time card system. And I went, oh, I'll, I'll check this out. I, you know, I start work in a week. And I went in and I saw, you know, choose which project you worked on. And DuckTales was there. I kind of freaked out a little bit. Because <laughs> I did not know about it. How about uh, Brave and the Bold, uh, the fighting fighting title? Yeah, that was before me too. Okay, I don't know the the timeline on a lot of uh, console games anymore, but I do play uh, yeah, iOS, no iOS games. So, is there any things that you could talk about with uh, what you're working on now that you know maybe people already know about? They're still in the top secret stage of development, okay. so. They haven't been announced. I can't really talk about them. Sure, sure. Um, but there's a couple things. And then uh, there's a couple more things that 
uh, maybe we're working on soon that people can look forward to. Vague, 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 vague. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, can you let me know if uh, they're reboots or if they're original titles? Hmm. We got a, we got a little of both. Okay, good. You know? That's good. That's way good. forward. I mean, Contra Four wasn't a reboot, but it was a sequel. But that right. kind of helped put Way Forward on the map a little bit for. You know, hey, if you have a classic game and uh, you want someone who knows how classic games work to make a new version of it, right. um, which again it led to DuckTales, which was uh, a remastering, and it, Boy and His Blob, which was a reboot, uh, Double Dragon Neon, which is kind of a sequel, but that was pretty cool too. But all those games, um, WayForward kind of became known as someone who would do them well because everyone there played the old games, loves them. If we get one of those projects, we play all the old games again. We obsessively look at every single aspect of them so yeah we're definitely hoping to make some more along those lines jumping back really quick to konami uh, mm-hmm. am i wrong did konami buy hudson right before they yeah shut- so konami's always owned part of hudson oh i don't oh. know i don't know the degree but then assuming hudson needed money or something konami bought the majority share of hudson and then when Hudson shut down, all those properties revert to Konami. So Konami owns Bomberman and Bonk and Bonk's Adventure and all that stuff. Mr. Higgins. Higgins yeah, Master Higgins. Know. Master Higgins, that's it. Yeah. Uh, which brings up one of my uh, all-time favorite console games for the Saturn which was Bomberman S. Now, it only came out in of Japan. Course. Well, it did come out in America, but they took away all the, f- the fun parts about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the Japanese version, you, you know, you could play six-player was nice because you could see the full screen, but you could also go up to ten-player. Or maybe eight, eight could be on a regular size screen, and then ten, they would shrink it down. But outside of that, you could be all the different types of Hudson characters, like Bonk and like Master Higgins. And, uh, they took that out of the U.S. version? I'm pretty sure they did. I think you were just all Bombermans. Oh. Yeah. That's I, sad. I had a special Bomberman tap, the Bomber tap, the S-tap, I guess they called it, and the Bomb S-tap. And I had uh, two of the Bomb S controllers. I still do. And I still break it out every now and then when, when people come over the house. I was huge into that, and that was uh, so much fun. And, of course, Hudson it was the creator of the Hue card, and we wouldn't <clears> really have had... Uh, all the stuff from NEC without Hudson being involved with that. So I was sad that Konami bought it out, but I was like, this is great. Punk's going to fight Metal Gear. (laughs) (laughs) I thought all this stuff would happen. And then, then every, the bottom fell out of everything. So, but, um, but a Bomberman uh, jackpot machine would maybe be cool. No, you know what? Nothing's really cool with that. Do we need a, a nice, solid, classic Bomberman? Yeah. Let's not do any more 3Ds. Please, nobody that's ever going to do one. <laughs> because once he went to 3D, I was like, you are no longer my favorite puzzly type of person anymore. Because, boy, those Super Nintendo ones were... Except for the first one. <laughs> first one was like walking in molasses. But from Bomberman 2 on up, uh, 5 and, and all those uh, other great Bombermans, boy, it was very, very good on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, anybody else uh, go to Way Forward with you? Yeah, there was a, my co-producer on Contra 4, Simon Lai. He came to Way Forward with me for a couple years, but he has moved on now to Bandai Namco. 
Oh, okay. Or Namco Bandai. I don't, whichever, <laughs> whatever order that is. Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, wait a minute. Uh, who did Taito get bought out by? Uh, Square Enix. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Here's a fun fact. A lot of the Hudson people from the TG-16 era yes. moved on to Atlas. So, oh. so I worked for some of them while I was at Atlas. Oh. And then uh, one of them went to Konami. So the original Hudson dispersed, and I followed all of them. <laughs> Did the B work for Atlas? No, I, n- I never met the B. That's okay. He always looked like he was a little drunk anyway, <laughs> looking at those action lines behind him. I never trusted yeah. him. Because you know why? Because Bishu, the the joystick manufacturers, uh, I, uh, I always wanted to see him fight the Hudson B. <laughs> Get all the B, B cage match. Yes. Speaking of Pachinko, have you ever played any of the Pachinko-kun games uh, by Hudson? Uh, no, I have not. They are pretty amazing. In fact, in Japan, for the PC Engine, they came out with a, with a Pachinko controller. <laughs> You actually used to play the Pachinko Pachinko Kun games. And, uh, of course, they're role-playing games. You are Pachinko Pachinko Ball, and you're in the Pachinko Ball Kingdom, and there's a King Pachinko Man, and then sometimes you fight aliens, and uh, you play Pachinko games in between of uh, the story to try to win Pachinko and then progress in the story. So it's uh, pretty fun. (laughs) I can see that having issues being translated over. (laughs) It's definitely a niche market. I don't remember if this was on Turbo Graphics. Uh, Hudson had a series of train board games that were really cute. They came out every year. I don't remember what they were called. Oh, uh, shoot. Densha no. something or other. Oh, oh um, Denson De Go. That was uh, actually, I thought that was Namco. And that was maybe for I'm the PlayStation. I, hmm. Yeah, they even had a controller for, uh, they, they called it, what did they call it here? Go, go, go by train is what it meant. So Denshin Day Go is, is what it meant, go by train. And you were a conductor of a train, and it was first-person perspective. And they they had the the full controller that you could, you know, slide the um, train. <laughs> the train, train thing that you drive a train with. And uh, they still come out with them. One came out for the Wonder Swan, and uh, it might have come out for, for other systems as well. Crazy. Those are some interesting games that um, need to have people that want to take a chance on them. Yes. Anything like that in the top secret? <laughs> Anything that you think's no. going to fail? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be interested in that. I'm not sure I'm allowed to say even if I, if I thought that. <laughs> if there was anything you could change about Frogger, <laughs> we were originally talking mm. about Frogger, uh, what would that be? What would I change about Frogger? Hmm... Honestly, I like it a lot. I would just change the, uh, like you said, the the weird, sometimes you can land on a platform and sometimes you can do the exact same thing. You swear it's the same as last time, but you die. Yeah, exactly. Um, I would just get rid of that. It's a pretty clean game. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's the problem we have with any uh, pure arcade game like that. There's really nothing we can ever want to change. It's, it's a perfect style game. Except for the hit detection, that's what that's what does throw a little bit of a monkey wrench into it. Yeah, was there a Frogger board game? That would be interesting to know. That would have been a good board game. You need a game master to move all the cars each turn or whatever. But <laughs> true, 
Yeah, it should it should have been a table tapper. There you go. A log alligator approaches. <laughs> I'm gonna jump on him. <laughs> Let me see if I could roll a three. Uh oh, shoe fell off, fell in the bog hole. That's a throwback. We usually do a one sentence review. Uh, but I didn't prepare one for this game. I don't know if you have. <laughs> sure, Frogger in one sentence <clears throat> would be. Always remember, Gator ain't nothing but a log with a face. Gatorade. And you see how that <laughs> works in there, too? You, you could pitch that to Gatorade. There you go. Oh, Gator ain't. Oh. Never mind, sorry. I did not uh, create a one. Oh, no, I did. Oh, hold on. I just did. <laughs> oh, you're a magic twanger, Froggy. <laughs> Makes no review of the game, but will go down in history as a fantastic catchphrase for whatever that guy's name was. But it was so impressive that it made it into Frogger's Lament. I think we're going to go out with Frogger's Lament. I probably did that already before, but uh, that's the song we're going to go out with. You Uh, have to. Yes. Tom Hewlett. Two M's, one Hewlett. Thank you for being on We Talk Games uh, Arcade Weekly as our first industry guest host thing person. I'm proud to be the first one. It's exciting. There's only ever one first. (laughs) I think. Okay, everybody. I hope that you like us. Bye-bye.
one step at a time The way that he moves has no reason to rhyme He rides on the logs all the way to the top And into his cage with one final hop Go, Froggy, go You gotta keep on hopping till you get to the top 